Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Amen. All right. Well, it's good to be in service tonight. We're going to get into the Word of the Lord. And I thank you for being faithful tonight. We're going to just, uh, we're going to just get into our parables. I'll mention that if you have a, if you have a gift or tithe, we want to just encourage you to get that to us at the end of the service. And uh, we appreciate your giving. Your giving is what moves the mission forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Got a big vision and God has given us a, a big vision for this coming year and moving forward. And so your giving is what makes that possible. So, amen. Well, we're going to get into the scripture. We're going to take a look here at the parables. We've been looking at the parables over the past couple of weeks, if you have been with us, and we've just been studying these, these teachings of Jesus, these simple truths that Jesus shares to convey spiritual or kingdom truths, these simple stories that Jesus uses to convey spiritual truth or profound truths about life. And we've been looking at this over the past couple of weeks, and we've taken a look just kind of at the place the parables hold in the New Testament in fact, they hold quite a significant place uh, in, our, in our Scripture and in the teachings in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, about one-third of Jesus' teachings were in parable forms. They were in story format. Jesus would just take a simple story that, that's, that we could relate to, that, that was easy to understand, would tell stories about a farmer sowing seed into different types of soil. He would tell stories about a wise and a foolish builder that built their house, one upon sand, others upon a rock. Other stories he would tell of, of a treasure that had a, had a, a field that had a treasure in it. He would tell stories that we're going to look at tonight about a shepherd that left his 99 sheep to go for the one, a woman that lost her coin and she swept her house until she found it. He would tell stories about a son who's a father whose son walked away, but ultimately was received back with arms open wide. And he would tell these stories we could easily understand and relate to in order to convey spiritual truths or kingdom truths. He would tell us these stories so that so that a broad audience of people could could understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus was teaching not just His 12 disciples who were these super spiritual people that understood everything, all the mysteries of the kingdom. No, He was teaching to crowds. He was teaching to multitudes. He was teaching across multiple generations and different economic backgrounds and experiences and education levels and cultures and continents. Amen. The Word of God applies to all people. And so Jesus was teaching these truths in a way that all people could, could potentially or hopefully ascertain these kingdom mysteries. But, but he didn't just use the parables to tell kingdom truths or profound and even complex spiritual truths in a simple way, but he did so because these parables, believe it or not, although at surface level they seem very simple and easy to understand, and they are, but there was something deeper to the parables, and that is that they had the capability, or what they would do is they would expose a lack of motivation for spiritual growth among the crowd. 
Now, everybody heard the parables that he taught, but not everybody took the time to understand what the parables meant. And Jesus said the disciples pulled him aside after he would tell a parable, and they would pull him aside, and he would say, to you it is given to know the kingdom, to to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, it is not. He said they have ears to hear, but they but they don't, they don't understand. They have eyes to see, but they never perceive. And what he was saying is the parables are kind of like a litmus test to, to expose the motivation and the desire of the hearers. And so the crowds and the multitudes who would hear the parables taught, they would hear the word, they would hear the preaching, they would hear the teaching, but they never took the time to learn, to grow, and to understand it would expose the motive of those who were hearing but not understanding. So we have to be careful what our motive is, what the condition of our heart is, what the condition of our soil is, or in some respects, what the, what the desire, what the motivation is for following Jesus. They were, they were there, some for the fish, some for the loaves, some for the miracles, some for the signs, some for the entertainment, I'm sure. Because the crowd was doing it, because it was popular, because of some other perhaps superficial reason, but when the disciples would pull him aside and they would begin asking him and questioning him, and Lord, what does he do these parable means? It was those who had a pursuit, a hunger, a desire to grow deeper in their understanding and to know spiritual truth that Jesus would reveal these kingdom truths. And so these parables, while for some they exposed their lack of desire, for others they provided a clear path or a a understanding for how to, to grow and to know spiritual truths better. They, 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 they provided a clear path or perspective for how God sees our relationship with Him. The parables, don't miss this, provide a kingdom perspective, all right? Now, when we look at these parables, and we're going to look at perhaps one of the best-known parables tonight, I want you to keep this in mind. The parables truly provide a provide God's perspective, all right? They provide God's perspective. And and when we look at this, these stories are going to challenge us to see things not the way we see them, not the way the world sees them, but to truly see life, to truly see the kingdom of God or our relationship with God or with others through the lens of, of God's perspective. And that really is the most powerful and profound reality of the parables. And so we're going to take a look at a parable tonight. We'll take a look at a book of, in the book of Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible, if you have a device, if you want to turn there, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 15. And we're going to take a look at some very just powerful, profound truths here that are going to challenge us uh, to, uh, to really just kind of go beyond the Just go beyond the veil, and we're going to kind of see some things the way God sees them. We're going to learn about the grace of God tonight in, I think, a very powerful way. And so here is the book of Luke chapter 15, and it's here in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus tells three parables. And we're going to look at all of them, but I want to focus in on kind of this culminating or this final parable that he tells. And so in Luke chapter 15, it's a the story of the prodigal son. I'm sure you've heard the prodigal son or you've heard of the story of the prodigal son. We're going to take a look at this. If you're not familiar, it says, and he said there, there was a man who had two sons. Now, granted, Jesus is telling, he's, he's telling a story. There was a man who had two sons, all right? 
Um, and okay, if you scroll down, try scroll. Is it there? There we go. Got gotcha. Yep. Can you go to? Can you go to twelve? There we go. There it is. And the younger of them said to his father, right? A man had two sons. And the younger of the two sons said to his father, right? Give me the share of property that has come to me, or give me in my inheritance. All right? Just, just imagine this. This son comes to his father and he says, Give me my inheritance. Uh, and he divided his, his inheritance among them. So he, he, he gives him his inheritance. Verse 13. He goes on and he says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his inheritance in reckless, riotous, and sinful living. He just, he just went wild and out. I mean, he just decided, I'm going to just live it up, right? And when he had spent everything, get this, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. Verse 15. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed his pigs. A far cry from where he came. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one would give him anything. All right? Verse 18. He goes on. Verse 17, go back, sorry, I'm getting, but when he came to himself, now get this, then he comes to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with the hunger. Verse 18, he goes on, he says, but I will arise and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, verse 19, and I am no longer worthy to be your son, treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, he goes on, he says, And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and and get a ring, and put it on his finger, and get shoes on his feet for the higher... And, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this is my son who was once dead but is now alive again for he was lost. but Now he's found. And they began to celebrate. And his older son, now his older son was in the field and as he came and he drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked these things. Now they're really celebrating. The son gets, the other son, the older brother gets jealous and he says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. That's what the servant tells the other son. But he was angry and he refused to go in and his father came out and he entreated him, verse 29, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, but when the son of yours came who has devoured your property, he spent your your inheritance, his inheritance on prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for you. For this your brother was dead, and this, and now he is alive, and he was lost, but now he is found. Is that it? That's it. And so we find this parable that Jesus is sharing with us. It's this, this beautiful story of all of the teachings of all of the parables that Jesus 
tells us in the, in the New Testament some 30 to 50, depending on how you, how you define what a parable is. It's probably this parable, this story of the prodigal son, of this, of this father who his son comes to him and in a desire to receive his inheritance, takes all of his property and leaves his father's house and goes to a far country and lives a life of, of riotousness and immorality and recklessness and out in this far country spends everything that he has to ultimately find himself in the pig pens of life. And it's there in those pig pens of life, in this backslidden state, cut off from his family, cut off from his home, cut off from everything he's ever known, that it's here in this place, just down and out, hitting rock bottom in life, that he finally comes to his senses and he decides, I'm going to go back to my father's house, expecting to be to be uh, uh, unaccepted, expecting to be a second-class citizen, expecting to be perhaps rejected or judged or harshly treated, but he comes back to his father's house only to find his father looking out over the balcony, hoping for the day that he would return to greet him with arms open wide, to put a robe on him, to kill the fatted calf, to put a ring on his finger and celebrate his return. And it is this parable of the prodigal son that is a beautiful illustration, a beautiful demonstration of the grace of God. That this parable tells us from a 30-foot view that, that we serve a heavenly Father that loves us and is interested in us and has compassion and grace and mercy. And when we fall short and when we fail and we mess up and when we walk away and when we make a mess of our life, that we have a heavenly Father that will restore us and redeem us and receive us it's this parable that teaches us a powerful truth about the wonderful grace of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Isn't that a powerful and a wonderful truth to know that your Father loves you so much that even when we fall short and mess up, that God's grace and His compassion and His mercy is there to receive us, to restore us, and to redeem us. That's a good word. Amen. amen. But I want to tell you here, that as we dig into this parable, I want to tell you that there are some very profound truths that we will find here about the grace of God. There's a book that I think is probably one of the better resources that I've read over the past couple of years by an author by the name of David Butrick. And it's going to pull up here, I'll just show you, but it's, it's called um, Speaking Parables. It's called Speaking Parables. And it's a... It's, just a book about how to interpret the parables, how to read the parables, study the parables. Probably get a pop-up ad here. That's right, but I just wanted you to see it. It's by David Butrick. It's called Speaking Parables. And in this particular book, David Butrick gives us a framework and some tools on how to read the parables. And I want to just show you one of these quotes here. If you want to pull that up, Corey. He, he gives a quote here that I think is going to help us as we read the parables, I want you to see this because this is what we're going to use as a framework tonight as we dig into this particular parable. David Butrick says, but when we uncover, get this, don't miss this, that when we read the parables, when we go through the parables, and when we uncover what is what he calls curious, everyone say curious. curious. When we uncover what is curious about the parable, it is there 
in that curious place. It is there in that area of the story where the narrative fails, where the, where the, where the tension arises, where, where, where the story breaks down, where the relationship fails, where the, where the most tension is present, the most curious, the curious parts of the parable. It is there that we will experience what is so extraordinary about God's grace. In other words, what he is saying is that when you read through these parables, don't just read just kind of a, in a flippant and in a shallow way, but when there are things in the parable that, that seem a little out of place or seem a little bit just, just strange or tense or unusual, it's there when you engage those, those difficult things, those, those curious things about the stories of Jesus that you will begin to uncover profound truths about the grace of God. And so he says the way that you do that, the way you read every parable, is you've got to uncover three things. Number one, you've got to know what the context is. Number two, you've got to know who the characters are. And number three, you've got to identify what he says, which is that which is curious about the story that Jesus is telling us. Go ahead and flip that next one up there. So he says you've got to find the context, the characters, and what's curious or what we'll call the tension. And if you will do these things you will uncover what is so extraordinary about grace. And so let's do this tonight. Let's just jump in to this story and just uncover some extraordinary truths, some kingdom truths about God's perspective and about the grace of God for our life. I want to tell you the very first thing that we need to understand about this particular parable is the context of this particular parable. It's in this parable in Luke chapter 15, if you will read beginning in verses 1 through 10, that you will find that Jesus is teaching and He is preaching and He's sharing these kingdom truths before uh, uh, great crowds and multitudes. And as Jesus was, was ministering to the people of that area, He would often find find himself in people's houses and in people's company who were outside of the good graces of the Jewish uh, Pharisees of those days. They were the religious Pharisees and rulers of those days. And and Jesus would be invited to have dinner at a tax collector's house. And because tax collectors were, were not well favored in that society, and certainly among the ultra-religious, he would be criticized and he would be under question and they would talk about him and they would criticize him and they would say, why do you hang out with sinners? Why do you hang out with prostitutes? Why do you hang out with immoral people? And, and in an effort to respond to the criticisms and the critiques and the complaints of the people who were criticizing him in those days for spending time with all of these immoral people, Jesus tells three specific stories in Luke chapter 15 to respond to the criticisms of those who were questioning why he's hanging out with certain people. And so in Luke chapter 15, he tells three stories. One was a story of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, but when one sheep had walked away, he left the 99 to go into the highways and the byways and into the mountains to search after that one sheep that was lost. 
And then he told another story right after that about a woman who had ten silver coins. And when she had lost one of her coins, she swept her house. She got everything organized. She cleaned everything up, got her house back in order to find that one coin that she had lost. And when she found that one coin, she called her friends and her neighbors over to celebrate the fact that she had found the one coin that was lost. And then he told the story of this father whose son had walked away and was living in right and immorality, but when he came back, he was greeted and he was accepted with open arms and celebrated the return of his son. And the reason he told these stories was to prove a point to these Pharisees that, that, that for, for me, I value the things that have been lost. That you might not value them, you might not care about them, you might not love them, but to me, they're of great value. And just like that shepherd who will leave his 99 sheep to go after that one that is lost, and just like that woman that loses her one coin and, and sweeps her house until she finds it, and just like that father that receives his son back uh, to, to, to his graces and, and, and in good relationship, he said, just like those three, me, I will receive a sinner that is far from me, that has fallen from my good graces, has walked away from our relationship, that I will receive those things which are of value to me. And he's making a point about the grace and the goodness of God. They were criticizing him for hanging out with unrighteous people. And he's saying, listen, I want, to, I want to seek and to save that which is lost. And we find this illustration of these three parables which, prove a, which, which tell a powerful point about God's perspective that Jesus has come on a seeking and a saving mission. And even though the Pharisees and those outsiders that would criticize him might not value it and might, might not appreciate it, that if it's important to him, he's willing to leave the 99 he's willing to sweep the house and he's willing to receive back the sinner that would come with arms open wide it's a powerful truth and that is the context of these three parables look what luke chapter 19 we won't go through luke 15 and all that but look what luke chapter 19 says the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost and so the context is is just like the shepherd that went after the one sheep. And just like the, the woman that swept her house to find the coin, and just like the father that received his son that lived in riotous living, he said, so too God is on a mission to seek after, to redeem, to retrieve, to restore those, those relationships, those people, those souls that have been lost. Amen? And so we find the context is, is the character of God. But let's find the characters here in this particular story. Now, you've got to remember... That when we read a parable, <clears throat> we've got to find ourselves in the parable. Okay? So let's try to find ourselves in this parable. And we've got three characters in this, basically three characters in this story. Number one, we've got the Father. And that's pretty easy. The Father represents our Heavenly Father. He was the Father. He owned the house. He owned the riches. He owned the cattle. He owned the, the hills. He owned the hill and the cattle. He was wealthy. All right, he's the heavenly father. He's the he's the pure example of of love and compassion and grace. And so it's easy to 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 discern who the father is in this particular story. So the next one that we have is is the faithful son. The faithful son will We'll say that those who are the faithful in the house of God, those were the perhaps the righteous, those were the, 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 
the church folk or the religious folk, all right, the ones that remain in the house, the ones that remain faithful to the things of God. And then we have this third character who is conveniently referred to as the prodigal son, all right? And it's the prodigal son that we have to recognize if we are going to identify ourselves in the story represents each and every one of us. That from God's perspective, that at one point or another, that we have all been the prodigal. That we have all had prodigal proclivities in our life. That we have all sinned. That we have all fallen short. That we have all walked away. That we have all made a mess of our life. That we have all done wrong. That we have all let God down. Just like this prodigal son, we have lived out some prodigal lifestyles in our life. We've messed up. We've not deserved God's goodness. We've not deserved God's grace. In some respect, we've walked away from the will of God. We've walked away from the things of God. We've lived our own riotous lifestyle. We are all guilty. We all fit the role. We all fit the resume of the prodigal. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, or whether you want to accept it or not, from God's perspective, this parable paints a very clear picture that when you identify yourself in this story, you find yourself very quickly fulfilling the role of the prodigal. The Bible tells us clearly in Romans chapter 3, for we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one righteous, he goes on, no, not one. Amen? And so we are all the prodigals. Now you may at some point in your life play the role of the faithful son or the sad sibling if you want to call him that. But to be certain, we have all been the prodigal. Now, we've determined the context. We've determined the character. And so let's begin to unravel or un un unwrap some of these tensions in this story, all right? And we're going to uncover some grace, some deeper truths, some deeper meanings here. Now remember, David Butrick, he said, when you read these parables, after you've uncovered the context and you've discovered the characters, that's when you gotta, that's when you got to confront. That's when you've got to engage that which is curious. All right? You've got to find the tension. You've got to find where the story breaks down. You've got to find where the relationship fails. You've got to find the issues that are inconvenient. And you've got to engage them. You've got to confront them. And it's there that you will find in that curious place. It's there that you will find what is so extraordinary about God's grace. And so I want to tell you, as we read through this parable, there's several things here. But the very first thing that I want us to confront, the very first curious thing, is why didn't the father try to stop his son from leaving? Have you ever thought about that? Are you with me tonight? You guys miss Cindy here, I know. Let me all show up just to hear Cindy sing. I'm sorry, I, I failed to I let you down. All right. Have you ever wondered that? Now, we can just read this parable and we can just kind of glance over that. All right. But David Butrick, I think he's got I think he's on to something here. He says, if you will just find those things that are curious, and you'll dig into it, and you'll confront it, and you'll engage it, and you won't. You won't shy away from it, or you won't retreat from it, but you'll really dig into this. He said, you're going to uncover something powerful about the gr grace of God. And the first thing that I want to just dig into is, why didn't this father try to stop 
his son from leaving. Now we find in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 13, let's take a look at it. What does it say? It says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The father did it. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now you would think perhaps common sense would tell you that if this was my son, I would, I would do everything I can to keep this kid from, from walking out and from making a mess of his life. Now, wouldn't that be something you would think that this father would do? But the Bible does not give us any indication that in this particular instance, the father tried to stop his son. You would think that this father would try to preach to his son. You would think that this father would try to, to, to restrain or constrain his son. You would think that the father would try to give him some scripture and give him some verses and, and, and try to just, just, just do everything he can to, 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 to talk his son out of taking his inheritance and going out and doing what he could tell his mind was determined to do. But the Bible does not indicate that the father made any effort to try to stop the son on this particular instance. And what I want to suggest to you today is that perhaps that this father knew that this was not something, this was not an occasion where this child needed another sermon or needed another scripture or needed another Sunday school lesson or needed another song because this father knew who this boy was. This father knew he had raised his son to know the difference between right and wrong. This father knew, this boy knew this was outside of his will. Knew this was not a good idea. He knew that this was not within his father's purpose and plan for his life. And in this particular instance, perhaps this father did not try to stop his son because he knew that this boy knew the difference between right and wrong. And that in this particular instance, that if this kid was going to learn, if this kid was going to grow, if this kid was going to respond, if this kid was going to get his life on track, it wasn't going to take another sermon. It wasn't going to take another scripture. It wasn't going to take another Sunday school lesson because this father knew that there are some lessons in life that can only be learned the hard way. Now, I know that's a hard truth, but I believe that there might be something to this. Because we've all known those people, perhaps within the church context, that they grew up in a good home. They grew up in a godly environment. They've heard every sermon. They've read every story. They know what's right and they know what's wrong. And they've seen it played out throughout their life. But when they get to a certain point in their life, they decide, you know what, I'm going to make up my own mind, I'm going to go my own way, and I'm going to do my own thing. And the reality is that sometimes in life, God's grace will let us go and hope that we might grow. I think there's some profound truth here. Now, hold on now. I had a family back at our home church, back when I was involved in youth ministry, youth pastors, but we did a lot of work with the youth in our church and mentorship and so forth. And there was one, this one particular family and um, they had two sons. And the oldest son, the oldest son got into some trouble, made some just very, just, a, just, a, just unfortunate and just terrible decision. 
just right at a point in his life where he probably didn't even realize the consequences, ends up getting arrested, gets a rap, um, goes to jail, locked up. And the younger son, and this is, this is a church, this is a Christian family, right? Faithful family. The younger son was starting to kind of take us just kind of a path of poor judgment. And we were trying to, you know, just work with him. And I was trying to just mentor him and so forth. And I remember just meeting with the mom one day. I was going to pick the kid up. We were going to go grab something to eat, I think, or something. And I was just talking to the mom. And she said something to me that just has absolutely just been ingrained in my mind ever since. And she said, you know, when you have children, when you have little babies, when they're, when they're young, when they're born, you have all these dreams and you have all these ambitions and all these plans. They're going to be doctors and they're going to be lawyers and they're going to be pro baseball players or whatever your dream is for that kid. But she said, by the time that they are adults, the only thing that you care about, the only thing, is that they love God and that they will spend their life serving God. You don't care what kind of money they make. You don't care what kind of success they have in life. The only thing that really matters by the time they become an adult is that they would love God. The reality is, is that although sometimes people have every opportunity to do right, and it's been exampled for them through good homes and good families and good relationships and good church and good instruction, the reality is that sometimes some people just have to learn the hard way. And the reality is, is I believe that somehow in God's grace, perhaps, perhaps in God's mercy, God knows that some people aren't going to learn by just being told what to do or by being preached at or given another scripture or another verse. Thank God for all that. But some people are just going to have to learn the hard way. And the reality is, is that God loves us too much that if we miss the lesson through the preferred means, that life has a way teaching us some difficult lessons that can hopefully teach us some, some things that we didn't learn in our home or in our church or otherwise. And the book of Proverbs says that senseless people learn their lessons the hard way but the wise are teachable. Now, I wish we were all teachable, but sometimes we're not. And the reality is that God has worked in this, this safety net that even when we're senseless, even when we're stupid, even when we make wrong decisions, even when we're hard-hearted, even when we have poor judgment, those lessons, those experiences, those difficulties, God's grace can use those things in our life to work those things out in a way that even though He didn't intend for it to be part of the plan that He had for our life, God can take those difficult situations and He can turn them around for our good and for His glory. And the reality is that this principle, this parable teaches us a powerful truth about God's Word is that sometimes God will let us go make a mess of our life in order that by grace we will grow from it, learn from it, 
get on the right track. Amen? And so I believe that that is perhaps what is taking place here in this particular story, that God's grace was working even when this kid was doing everything he could think to do that was wrong. And I think that's our hope today. And so I'll just tell you, just, we'll just, I'm just right there. You just keep on loving your kids. Keep on raising your kids right. Keep on teaching them. The Bible says that if you raise your kid in the truth that they shall return unto it. I don't believe that that's an explicit promise in Scripture. It's so much just a principle of truth that if you teach a kid the right thing to do, that even when they stray away from it, that when they do get to a place and they decide they need to get back to a lifestyle that they, that, 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 that they need to, that they will have a framework in their mind of what their life should look like in, those, in that upbringing and that teaching and all that, all that will, 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 will finally begin to come into fruition in their life. Amen? And so, so sometimes God grace, God's grace will let us go in order that we can grow. Let's confront another truth. I'm running out of time here. So number two is why was, why, was, why was the family relationship so strained? Now think about this. Why was this family relationship? This son, if you think about it, now in Jewish, in, 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 in Jewish culture and in Jewish a custom, just like in our society, a son would typically receive their inheritance upon the death of their parent. And so this son was raised in this house, grew up in his father's home, and knew you would, could, you would, you would just kind of imagine that there was some wealth here in this family, that he had an inheritance coming to him. That 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 he was ultimately going to receive his father's wealth upon the death of his father, but the son decided that he wanted his inheritance without the relationship of his father. In other words, if you think about it, it's almost as if this son was saying to his father, let's just pretend as if you were dead. Let's just pretend as if we don't have a relationship at all. I just want everything that you can give me. Just give me everything that you're going to give me, and I'm just going to go off on my way, and I'm going to do my own thing. Now remember, this is God's perspective sharing this parable. And it's as if this son is saying, I have no desire and no interest in a relationship with you. I just want to be the recipient of everything that you can give me. And the reality is, is if we put ourselves in this parable and recognize that we are this parable, we are this prodigal son, that from God's perspective, that that's how we all at times treat our relationship with God. That sometimes that it's possible for us to get to a place in our life where we, we're not so much as really interested in a relationship with God. We just want to be the recipient of all of the blessings and the benefits of God. I just want your blessings in my life. I just, I just want to have a, a, not a guilty conscience. I, I just, I just want to have all the things that living for God can do for me, but in the reality, I don't really want a relationship with God at all. And that's where this child was. That's where this prodigal son was. He said, I want the inheritance. I want to receive everything that you have for me. I, I, I want your blessing. I want your wealth. I want, I want what you can give me, but I don't want to have a relationship with you at all. Look what Luke chapter 15 says. 
He says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. And so he divided his property between him. He said, Father, give, give, give. I want to give. Sometimes if we're not careful as Christians, even we can have a give mentality. God, what are you going to give me? What, is, what am I going to get out of this? What do I benefit from this? What can I gain from this? And we can get a selfish and a greedy and a self-centered and a, just even a narcissistic relationship with God. Give, 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 give me. He said, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so this child was treating his father like so many people treat God. God, I don't want to even have a relationship. Let's just pretend like you don't even exist. Let's just pretend like you're dead. Give me everything that I can get out of this life, and I'm going to go off and I'm going to do my own thing. But if we confront this tension, we might, we might see something powerful about the grace of God. Because sometimes God's grace will allow us to lose everything so that we can appreciate the most important thing. And what I have found this to be true, the more I have lived for God, the more I have walked with Jesus, the more I have served the Lord, and I know I can have some testimonies in this place, is life has just a way of just leveling the playing field. Life has a way of humbling you. And the reality is the more you walk with God, the less you care about all the peripheral and shallow things. And the more you just desire, like Paul said, I just want to know him. I don't know how people can make it through life without the Lord. I don't know how people can make it through life without a community like the church. I don't know how people can make it through life without the encouragement and the strength and the anointing of His Spirit on your life. I don't want to go like Moses said. I don't want to go if your presence isn't going to go with me. And the reality is sometimes God's grace will allow us to lose everything so that we can appreciate the most important thing. Now notice... This son starts out this story by saying, Father, give me. I want everything I can get. But if you'll notice that after he lives a little bit of life and he goes out and he wastes his inheritance on riotous living and he finds himself in a pig pen, he finds himself having hit rock bottom, he finds himself having been humbled and nobody is giving him anything anymore and he begins to recognize and get some perspective about the blessing and the benefit of having been in his father's house. And he sees that out there outside of the Father's house, no one cares. No one's given you anything. No one's given you the benefit of the doubt. Life is hard. Life is difficult. The Bible says he finally comes to himself and decides, I'm just going to go back to my Father's house. I'll just be a servant. I'm not even worthy to be a son. I just want to be a servant. And the Bible says he goes back to his Father and he says, Father, he doesn't say give me. He says, make me as one of your hired servants. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. In other words, his perspective shifted from give me to make me. The reality is, is that sometimes life has a way of just humbling us, but the grace of God working in our life will shift our perspective from all of the shallow motivations and perceptions and and peripheral desires and ambitions of life and get us focused on the one thing that is most important and that is, Lord, not what can you do for me or give me, but God, what are you doing in me and making in my life? Lord, I want a relationship with you. I want you working in my life. I want you 
speaking into my life. I want you doing something in my life. I want to be close to you. The reality is it's the, the longer you serve God, the more your ambition and focus should be not so much on the peripheral things, but a focus on the main thing, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. God's grace has a way. God's grace has a way of letting some things go in order that you might grow. God's grace has a way of letting us lose some things that we'll realize maybe aren't quite as important as we thought they were in order that we can appreciate and realize how important the main thing is. All right? Let's go to number three. Now, as this son was out living, his just riotous lifestyle, his reckless lifestyle, I'll be quick here, I'm running out of time. Can you believe we didn't have songs and I'm almost at my time here? <laughs> oh, man, we don't need Cindy singing. You know what? She, she's holding us back. You know what? <laughs> Why didn't the son's plans. Why didn't the son's plans turn out the way he intended? All right. Now look what Luke 15, 13 through 16. Look what happened. Now he thought he had it all worked out. He thought he had it all planned. He was just going to go do his thing. I don't need my father. I don't need God. I just need what he can give me and I can just go make a better life and do my own thing. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine mm, arose in that country. And he began to be in need. Life's starting to get real. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Verse 16, and he was lodging to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything, what we find here is that sinfulness and selfishness will always cost us more than we anticipate, and that life has a way of humbling us. Isn't that the truth? Sin will always take us further than we want to go. Sin will always cost us more than we want to spend, and sin will always keep us longer than we intended to stay. The reality is that the way of a sinner is hard. God's Word gives us principles and truths and instructions that we can step out of the darkness of sinfulness and selfishness and we can walk in God's marvelous light and righteousness. I want to tell you that living for God is a blessing to your life. That, that being involved in church and, and, and having the Word of God taught and preached and instructed in your family and your home is a blessing that living for God. Yeah, I want to tell you what, there's a lot of people, if I live for God, I'm going to lose out. I'm going to miss out on some things. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. You're going to miss out on some heartache. You're going to miss out on some disappointment. You're going to miss out on some frustration. You're going to miss out on some lost years. You're going to miss out on some lost relationships. You're going to miss out on some consequences of sin, some repercussions of some unfortunate decisions. I want to tell you, if, but if you serve God, if you love God, if you live for God, that some of those hard lessons that this child had to learn some of those hard lessons that, 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 that you have to learn in life can be avoided by simply serving God and obeying His Word. God will teach you through the hard lessons, but His first plan is that you would obey His Word 
And you would receive it and believe it and obey it and thereby avoid the difficulties and the challenges and the troubles of life. Look what Proverbs 13 says. Good understanding gains favor, but get this, the way of the sinner is hard. How many know that's true? Mm. Man, that's real. The way of the sinner is hard. Mm. So his plans didn't work out because life has a way of humbling us. Life has a way of just leveling the playing field. The way of a sinner is hard. The way of a sinner is hard. All right. Let's go keep, let's just keep moving forward. There's, there's more here. There's a lot more here, but we're going to keep moving. Let's go next. Why was the father so willing to accept his son back? Now he had messed up. He had made a mockery of his life. He had failed. He had fallen short. He had fallen flat on his face. He had hit rock bottom. What Luke 15 says. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. He goes on, he says, but the father said to the servants, bring out the fatted calf, uh, best robe, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. We're going to get my son up and running again and bring the fatted calf here and kill him. Let us eat and be merry. There was no condemnation. There was no accusation. You've got to see this. We would be ready to scorn, we would be ready to criticize, we would be ready to judge, we would be ready to condemn. Jesus said, I have come not to condemn. I, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then He says, He didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is God's perspective here. And what He's trying to show us is that even when this prodigal son had made a mess and a mockery of his life, had walked away, was undeserving of any goodness and good favor and good relationship that he could have ever have had with his father, that even though he deserved nothing, that even though he had walked away, that even though he had fallen short, that the father is a loving father, a merciful father, that he's not come to condemn, but he has come to seek and to save. And the heart of the father is that if the son would just simply return, that he would be received with arms open wide. And that is a depiction of God's unwavering grace and mercy that when we were yet sinners Jesus died for us that while we were sinners the love of God is demonstrated that he died for us very rarely would someone die for a righteous man but Jesus died while we were sinners when we didn't deserve it when we were living in the pig pen when we had made a mockery when we had wasted our inheritance we, we weren't saved by our own righteousness but this depicts the reality of the grace of God that we were like the son who came with his head hanging low had nothing to offer his father just wanted to be a servant in his house then the father says get the fatted calf get the robe get the ring we're going to celebrate the bible says that heaven celebrates when one sinner returns and this is the heart of the father do you see how powerful this parable is you see how powerful this truth is when you confront the reality of how undeserving this kid was. And how gracious the father was. Then you see a beautiful depiction of God's grace in our life. Ephesians chapter 2, what does it say? 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You're like that boy that wasted his life. He came with his head hanging low to his father's house, but was greeted with grace and mercy. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Lest we ever forget why God saved us. It's not because we were so faithful and so good, so talented and so great. It's because He's so good and He's so faithful and He's so gracious and He's so compassionate. Finally, we'll end with this. Why did the faithful son have such a bad attitude about his brother's return? There's a lot to say about this. There's a lot to say. But the reality is that sometimes not only are we the prodigal, but we're the faithful kid. We're the sad sibling as I get ready to close. And sometimes we have to realize that... um, Did I get that last principle about uh, the Father will let us back before we have our life on track? How do you like that alliteration there? Did I get that in there? Back that up a little bit. Never mind. Uh, Go up. One more. Back. Back. Uh, It's in my notes. Anyway. God's grace will let us back before life's on track. Finally, why did the the son have such a bad attitude? The reality is that he wasn't reflecting the father's heart. And we have to be careful. Sometimes we just, we get to living for God and being in the church and being faithful. And sometimes we get this little self-righteous attitude that this kid had. And it happens to all of us. And sometimes even though we're serving God and we've been faithful and we've been living for God, the reality is we've got to check our heart. We've got to check our spirit. We've got to check our attitude to make sure that we are treating our brothers and our sisters and new people like Jesus would treat them and get a get a good fresh reminder that 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 the that the children's attitude does not always reflect the father's attitude. And if we're not careful, we'll get a little self-righteous. We'll get a little too high on our hog. We'll get a little too feeling too sorry for ourselves. And we'll we'll fail to take joy in the things that God takes joy of. Now I preached a message a couple weeks ago and and I'll just reiterate, I never saw this until recently. The son went to his father and said, how come you don't ever celebrate for me? All right? I've been faithful. I've been serving God. I never left. I never squandered your inheritance. I never treated you like that. I've been in the house. I've been faithful. I've been doing right. And you never celebrate me. You never gave me a fatted calf to celebrate with my friends. And yet this bozo comes back after he's blown everything and made a mess of his life, and all of a sudden you're just, you're just throwing a party for him. And the father says something to him. He says, son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. And man, that spoke to me. The, the title of my message was Don't Wait to Celebrate. And what I was trying to convey is, is that <clears throat> is we gotta get we gotta break out of just our 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 Victim mentality in serving God. It, I'm just going to say a couple of things. My pastor used to say this, and I think this is true. I'm just going to say it. 
if you're unhappy or you're pitiful or, you're, or your life is not interesting or unhappy, I want to tell you, don't blame that on God. Because some of the most uh, enjoyable and exciting and happy and fulfilled and fun and entertaining and just some of the best people I know are faithful Christians. And I'm going to tell you, you don't, need, you don't need the things of this world to have a fun, fulfilled, happy, enjoyable life. Don't wait to celebrate. You, need to just, you just need to get some joy in your life. You need to get some excitement in your life. You need to celebrate the blessings in your life. You need to celebrate the victories in your life. You need to take a look at all the good things. He says, everything I have is yours. If I can celebrate this, son, you can celebrate the things going on in your life. You can have a little joy. You can have a little celebration. You can have a little fun. You can have a little fulfillment. And so I'm going to end on that. Stand up with me tonight. Because if we're not careful, we'll get that same attitude that that faithful, that faithful brother had. And we will fail to reflect the heart of our Father. I want to tell you, when people come to our church, we ought to be the friendliest church in town. We ought to be the most welcoming church in town. We ought to be the most inviting church in town. We ought to just love people. We've got a saying out there that belong, believe, become. I truly believe that you can feel you can make someone feel like they belong somewhere before they even know what you believe you just love them you care for them you invite them into your life you're friends with them you just you just you just shake their hands and love them and just treat them right and I want to tell you that that can go farther than anything in somebody's life if you would just love them and care for them and bring them in and you might be surprised what God could do in their life if you just love on them and 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 let them feel accepted amen amen so let's pray tonight we take a look at the parables, kingdom truths wrapped up in story form. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your grace, and for your mercy, Father. God, I pray, God, that you would allow these truths to shine.